Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you with us on this beautiful summer day. Right? First day of summer today. Also happens to be Father's Day. And uh, just like Dave did a few moments ago, let me pass along a happy Father's Day to all of our amazing dads, granddads, and spiritual dads. It's so good to have you with us today. I've said this uh, so many times in the past. I'll continue to say it as long as I have breath. Here at Community Christian Church, we have the absolute best dads on the planet. And I mean that with all of my heart. Your passion for God and for your family, it inspires me. And I'm sincerely grateful to God. I appreciate the tremendous influence that you're making in the world today by following the Lord. So happy Father's Day to all of our our guys. All right, we're right in the middle of a series called Family Matters. And with the exception of last year, we have maintained and followed this same family theme in June for the last four years. And way back in 2017, during our very first shot at Family Matters on Father's Day, I preached a message entitled, 10 Characteristics or 10 Traits of a Healthy Family. Anyone other than Kim Silver remember that message? No one. And the reason I call Kim out and and, and throw him a little bone is because he promotes us so much I'm grateful for it. In fact, he promotes our sermons more than we do. Uh, But 10 characteristics of a healthy family back in 2017, and to refresh your memory, let me just give them to you this morning. Are you ready? Here they are. Top of the list, unconditional love. Open lines of communication is number two. Number three, sharing a strong spiritual foundation. Number four, protection. Number five, affirming the value of uniqueness. And number six, allowance for failure. Number seven, practicing common courtesy. Number eight, sharing responsibility, recognizing that we all have a part. Number nine, plan family activities. And finally, number 10, problem management or problem solving. These are the 10 characteristics or traits that make up a spiritually healthy family. And again, way back in 2017, we talked about all 10 of these. In fact, we printed out little scorecards and we evaluated ourselves as families in all 10 areas. And then at the end of the message, I encouraged the men to bask in the victory of the higher scores, but then to do the very best that we could to improve upon the lower scores. And when I set out that challenge, I was serious about that assignment. Because guys, if we can get these 10 right, we can be way ahead of the curve when it comes to uh, healthy families and uh, commitment and devotion to one another. And so for the purpose of the message today, taking this list that i just given to you, one area that I believe as men we can all improve upon, so I'm helping you out with your four-year assignment, is number three. This is the one, guys, that I think we could use a little boost. Sharing a strong spiritual foundation. 
Can I get you to say that? Everybody. Sharing a strong spiritual foundation. Yeah, guys, you can do this. You see, prayer and Bible study and personal devotion and spiritual endorsement, it's not an assignment that God gave just to the women. It's not a practice just for women. Children and family members need to know that dad has a faith too. A strong faith, a solid faith, a passionate faith in him. And check it out, when dads make church attendance a top priority, guess what? Families go to church. When dads read the Bible or quote a Bible verse or offer a heartfelt prayer, it, it speaks volumes. And kids pay attention. And so if you want a spiritually healthy marriage, if you want a strong family, one that trusts God and follows hard after the living God, then as men, faith has to be an essential, central part of our lives. Faith has to be something that others can see, not just something that we keep hidden deep in our hearts. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover that David, King David, was not just a warrior, he was a worshiper. In fact, David stands alone as one of Israel's greatest spiritual champions. And in the book of Psalms, more specifically, the Psalms of David, you'll find that David was fixated on a term or a phrase that he called the house of God. To David, the house of God or the house of the Lord, his tabernacle, his temple, or his dwelling place, that was synonymous with God's presence. And David was obsessed with God's presence. His overwhelming desire was to abide in God's presence on a daily basis. And so he wrote verses of scripture like Psalm 26, 8, where David said, Oh Lord, I love, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory or the place where your presence dwells. In Psalm 27, the very next Psalm, David acknowledged this yearning to worship God and to experience his presence as this singular motivation of his heart. He called it his one thing. In Psalm 27, 4, you know it well. One thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing will I seek after. To dwell in the house of the Lord or in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You see, David lived for God's presence. And his utter longing to experience the presence of God in and about his personal space is further illustrated in probably the most recognized and the most beloved psalm of them all, Psalm 23. And you get to the back or to the bottom of Psalm 23 as David's closing out this great psalm where he says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. You get all the way to the end of that psalm, Psalm 23, and in Psalm 23, 6, here's what David said. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do you ever just stop and read it word for word and pay attention to every 
thought that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's what David wrote. That's what he said. That's what he believed. In Psalm 23, 6, David declared, because of this incredible personal relationship that I have with God, shepherd to sheep, because I've established this strong spiritual foundation, I know that the goodness of God and the mercy of God is always going to find me. I know it's always going to be my portion. And I know the goodness of God and the blessing of God and the favor of God belongs to me and to my family. That's what David wrote. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were to have followed David around at some point in his life, let's say from the time that he was 17, when the prophet anointed him to be king over Israel, until the time that he died at age 70 and was buried with his forefathers. So over a period of 53 years, let's say, if you follow David around, would your conclusion be, watching his life and experiencing his testimony, would you conclude that God's goodness and mercy followed him every day? Not every day. Not always. In fact, there were some times in David's life where you have to think, where in the world was God? And you don't have to get very far into his story to know that there were times when he experienced tremendous trial, tremendous turmoil. For years, King Saul hunted him down like a wild animal without mercy, trying to kill him, forcing him to live in caves and in remote places. There's a lot of tragedy associated with David's life when you read through the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And if that's the case, tell me, how in the world could David write in this beautiful psalm, Psalm 23, 6, that surely God's goodness and mercy is going to follow me? If there were times when he was outside of the blessing of God and what appeared to be outside of God's favor, how could he say this and have us believe in him? How could he make that statement and and have us know that he was telling us exactly how he was feeling. Well, David could confidently write in Psalm 23, 6, that he knew that the mercy and goodness of God would follow him because he used the Hebrew word radeth, R-A-D-A-P-H, for the English word follow. And that word in the Hebrew actually means to pursue. Check this out. To literally chase after someone with the distinct intention of catching them. That's the picture that David paints for us in Psalm 23, 6, when you understand this word follow. It literally means to pursue. In other words, God is always hot on our trail. Even when the lights go out. (laughs) His expressed desire and intention is to never stop tracking us. He's always with us. He's always desiring to reveal himself to us, even when we're way out in front of God. I mean full speed ahead, trying to dodge God, trying to avoid him. Still, he's right there. David said he's going to pursue us. 
He's going to shadow us. He's going to trail us. And the reason God does that is because he wants to reveal himself to us and he wants to pour out his blessing on us. Do you believe that? God does want to favor us. It's amazing, this kind of God that we serve. And David was able to tap in to that kind of a relationship. Now, I'd like to read a story that's found in the Old Testament. It's a story about David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. But before we look at these verses, let me just kind of set the stage for you. This happened before David was crowned king. Remember, he was anointed to be king by Samuel the prophet. And then things went on for a while. Um, He was found in a position where he killed Goliath, that great big giant, and he became very famous and popular. And he even married the king's daughter. But of all of the rotten luck, the king, his father-in-law, became jealous. And so he tried to kill David. And on many different occasions, uh, he came into contact with David, threatened David's life, and David was forced to go on the run. And this happened for years and years. And so David and his men, what happened is they tried to avoid, you know, the king's wrath. And they lived among the Philistines, Israel's enemy, for a while. David kind of made this little pact with the Philistines. And for the first time in many years, things just seemed to be falling into place for David and things were going well for him until one day everything went south. So that's where I want to pick up the story here in 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to read verses 1 through 19, but we won't read all of the verses, so please follow along on the screen. David and his men reached Ziglag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and this is the place where David and his men were living. They were living there with their their families. The Amalekites, they attacked Ziglag and burned it. In fact, they burned it to the ground. And they had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept out loud until they had no strength left to weep. And these guys were upset. Everything in the whole wide world that they had was gone. David's two wives had been captured. And David was greatly distressed because his men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar, the priest, he was the high priest, bring me the ephod. What did David say? One more time. Bring me the ephod. And I'm going to explain the significance of that statement in just a moment. But Abiathar brought the ephod to David. It brought it to him. And David inquired the Lord. He said, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, God answered. Absolutely, you will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. So David and the 600 men who were with him came to the Besor Valley, where some stayed behind, 200 of them stayed behind, but David and the other 400 continued the pursuit, and David found the Amalekites there, scattered over the countryside. They were partying, eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder that they had taken. All of it belonged to David and his men. 
So David and his guys, they fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. And David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Do you see that? Other than a few people in the front, did you get in the back? Do you see that? <clears throat> he recovered everything. Just as the Lord had said to him, David recovered it all. Now, this is a great story. And I encourage you to go through it uh, sometime when you have a chance and read every verse and just pray and ask the Lord uh, to reveal uh, his word to you because uh, this is a story that we can apply to our lives today. It's not just a great history story. Let's talk about it for just a few moments. David and his men... They were gone from their campsite for a couple of weeks. Now remember, they were trying to avoid King Saul and the armies of Israel that were out to get them, but they still had to gather provisions for their family. They needed food and supplies, so they were gone for a few days. They came back, and when they came back, they found out that a band of Amalekites had raided and pillaged their campsite, burned it to the ground, took all of their stuff, including their wives and their children. And being exhausted... From their journey and from their travels, they were upset. They cried until they had no tears left. And then a couple of the guys got foolish and uh, took it out on David because he was the leader. And some of them even talked about killing David. And as soon as David saw that the situation was getting out of control, he called for the high priest and he said to them, bring me the ephod. Now, this is what David was referring to, right here. This is what the high priest wore as a part of his sacred holy garments. It was worn across the breast. It was part of the breastplate. And exactly the way that God had designed it, with gold and linen and 12 precious stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And then included in the ephod somewhere were two additional stones, and those two stones were used to seek the Lord. So whenever the high priest needed direction from God, whenever the king or the prophets needed to know exactly what God wanted them to do, they would call for the high priest and he would come and they would seek the Lord by using the ephod. This representation by David to say, bring me the ephod, meant that he wanted to know God's will and God's plan in the situation. And that's exactly what David was committed to. In fact, that's one of the significant reasons why God said that David was a man after his own heart because he knew that David would inquire about God's will more than any other will, his own or anybody else. So David, he didn't call for his top advisors, for the people that he trusted most in the whole wide world. He didn't Google what he should do. He didn't use the past experiences or the lessons he had learned. Previously, he called for the ephod. I need the ephod, David said. And using the ephod, David inquired of the Lord, God, what do you want me to do? My back's against the wall. My men want to kill me. They've taken all of our stuff, our women, 
Our wives, our children, they're all gone. David said specifically, shall I pursue the enemy? And if I do pursue them, will I overtake them? And the response that God gave to them through the ephod was yes, by all means, pursue them because you certainly will be successful. And God said to David, you will recover everything the enemy has taken from you. What a tremendous word from God. You will recover everything the enemy has stolen from you, everything the enemy has taken from you, everything the enemy has ripped off from you. And remember, God said this to David after he and his men had suffered tremendous loss. You know, after the Spirit of the Lord led me to this story the past couple of weeks, I've been looking at it every day, reading it, praying through it, preparing for today's message. And I don't say this often, but I firmly believe that the Spirit of the Lord has prompted me to tell you, especially the guys, that this is a prophetic word for us today. If you will pursue it, you will surely recover. If you will pursue it, you will surely recover. And you will take back everything that the enemy has stolen from you. Amen. Guys, today is a day to fight the good fight of faith. It's a day to fight for our marriages and our families and for our children and our grandchildren. It's a day to establish a strong spiritual foundation and not take in stride the intimidation of the enemy and his attempt to rob us and to take and steal from us and to harass us. Amen. This is not the day to sit back and take a beating. Amen. It's the day to go after the enemy and to pursue him. Amen. As we learned last week, bitterness is not God's answer to a situations in life. Resentment and anger and separation and divorce, that's not God's best. And I understand Sometimes you just can't make things work. I get that. But the question is, how hard did we fight? And how hard did we try? How willing were we to go after what the enemy was trying to take from us? It was Paul the Apostle that said, these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Guys, I want to encourage you to pursue love. To invest love in your relationships. To show and tell, not just to show, but to show and tell your wife how valuable she is to you, how special she is, and how much you love her. Guys, it's time to invest in our, our, our children and our grandchildren, to make them the top priority, to let them know how much we care about them and how much we appreciate them and to invest in their lives, and to keep the lines of communication open, wide open, regardless of what it takes. And, and please believe me when I tell you, I know how challenging family dynamics can be. This past year has been brutal on all of us. It has been a tough year, and the enemy has been out in full force. But I'm not yet convinced that tough love is always the answer. And I've been hearing that term a little too much these days. You know, you might want to consider tough love after you have exhausted tender love. Because tender love is God's way. And includes 
patience and humility and forgiveness. Remember those three? Talked all about them two weeks ago. And according to the word of God, tender love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Doesn't have a journal. It's time, guys, for us to reveal this love to our family members. It's time for them to realize and to know that we have a faith in God. We love God with all of our hearts, and as a result, we will love one another. And then what about integrity? What about morality, honesty, loyalty, having a good character? The enemy has taken a swipe at all of these things these days. It's time to go get them back. If you pursue, you will surely recover. I want to tell one last story here this morning, and then we're going to bring the message to an end. It's kind of a lighthearted story, so you can just sit back and relax a little bit. Go ahead and take a breath. <laughs> and I did want to get that heavy parted on purpose, because I feel it's a, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us guys. It's time to fight. It's time to roll up our sleeves and do the work that God's called us to do. Anyway, years and years ago, I worked at the Holiday Inn in Hazel Park. It was at Nine Mile and I-75. It's not there anymore. But I was a front desk clerk, and uh, one evening, a, uh, a guest came in, a gentleman came in, and um, he didn't have a reservation. And in the hotel world back then, I'm not sure it's the same today, but back then, someone who didn't have a reservation, who hadn't called in advance, they were called a walk-in. And the Holiday Inn had a very strict policy when it came to walk-ins. Walk-ins had to pay for their room before we gave them a key. So when he checked in, didn't have a reservation, I asked him for payment, cash or credit card. He gave me a credit card. And so I ran the credit card through the machine, and fish, uh, finished up the paperwork. And just about the time I was handing him his key, it was passing from my hand to his hand, that's when the credit card machine began to buzz like crazy, letting me know that the credit card he had given me was invalid. So I said to him, sir, um, your credit card has expired. You'll need another form of payment. And he said, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, I forgot my new credit card's in the car. Let me go get it for you. I'll run and get it for you. And he took the key with him. So I waited for him to come back. He didn't come back right away. I set his registration folio aside. I got busy checking in other guests. It was a really busy night. Uh, right before I left my shift, I called up to his room. He didn't answer. So I told the night auditor who um, replaced me to, re to think about uh, this guest coming down and to know that he was going to have to run his car through and complete the transaction. Well, the next day I showed up for work, uh, and as I made my way to uh, the uh, desk, I was greeted by the innkeeper, uh, the big boss, who uh, escorted me to his office and closed the door behind me. Uh, he asked me to have a seat and dropped a room registration uh, folio or document in front of me uh, that had a balance of $250. 
Come to find out my walk-in, the guy with the bad credit card, he not only skipped out on his overnight accommodations, but went into the hotel restaurant that we had, had a nice meal, and then proceeded to go with a friend uh, to the lounge and consume a good amount of beverages. Now, I know that $250 is not a lot of money today, but years and years ago, uh, and, and according to my innkeeper, it was a ton of money. And somehow this guy forgot to pay. Just slipped his mind. And so I'm sitting there, and the innkeeper is not happy. He's demanding an explanation, screaming at me, how in the world could you allow a walk-in to get a key without getting payment? And he threatened to fire me and to take the $250 out of my paycheck. Paycheck. And all during the time that he was yelling at me, I was memorizing the guy's address on the folio. And you guessed it. He lived about an hour away from the hotel, and a couple nights later, I paid him a little visit. Walked right up to his door. Knocked on the door and called him by name. Mr. Smith, is he there? And when Mr. Smith came to the door, he had a stunned look on his face like, no way in the world are you on my porch right now. I said, way. And I held up the credit card that I still had in my possession, the bad one, and I said, it's going to cost you $250 to get this credit card back. And without going into a lot of detail right now, let me just communicate to you, he wanted that card back badly. So immediately he gave me three crisp $100 bills. He said, I don't have any change. I said, I don't have any change either. He said, just go ahead and take it. You can just keep the 300 I gave him the credit card. He gave me the money. I said, thank you, Mr. Smith, and I went on my way. The very next day, I made a beeline to the innkeeper's office, knocked on the door. He was sitting at his desk. I counted out $250, put it right in front of him. He said to me, Tony, I'm sorry. I, I, I kind of got upset last time we talked. I, I know this isn't your fault. You don't have to pay me out of your own pocket. I said, oh, this is not my money. <laughs> I said, I just happen to be in the neighborhood of our walk-in. <laughs> and he was sorry. Uh, totally slipped his mind to pay. Th th this is not my money. This is his money. And the innkeeper just sat there with his mouth wide open. True story. True story. You see, sometimes when you have a mess on your hands and your back's against the wall and you don't know what to do and the devil's on your case and he's ripping you off and he's intimidating you, that's when you have to man up and go get your stuff back. Amen. Determination has to rise up within your soul. You have to be resolute, tenacious, filled with grit, because it's not an easy thing to do. Sometimes I'd like to take a page out of Popeye's book where Popeye would say, that's all I can stands and I can stands no more and out would come the can of spinach and everything was going to be perfect. Sometimes that's what you have to do. Get to the place 
God's saying, certainly pursue, and if you pursue, you will recover. You'll take back everything the enemy has stolen from you. Now, as we close out, I want to just repeat one last verse from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. David was greatly distressed because the men, his own men, were talking of stoning him. Can you imagine that? They loved David. They wanted to kill him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. The English version says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. He became courageous. He said, it's time to go to work. I'm going to pursue the enemy. How do you do that? When you're in a faith crisis, you don't know what to do. And everything's against you. And the enemy's just pounding you. You have no answers. Nowhere to turn. How do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? Guys, four words. Wait for it. Bring me the ephod. Bring me the ephod. In other words, it's time to turn to God, to inquire of him, to look to God and to seek him and to know he wants to favor you. He wants to be involved in the decisions. He wants you to know that he's right there. He's trailing you. He's shadowing you. He's on your case in a good way because he will never leave us or forsake us. David was able to write Psalm 23, 6 because he knew no matter what the situation, if it was a dark day or not, God was going to be there for him. When the enemy was trying to destroy him, he knew God was in striking distance. And so he was confident and he said, I know that his goodness, his mercy, his favor, his blessing is going to follow me all the days of my life. Bring me the ephod. Let me seek the Lord today like never before. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we thank you for caring so much about us that you would give us a prophetic word and Lord, I pray that this word would speak directly to the hearts of our men. We have taken a beating long enough. We have allowed the enemy to come in and rip us off and to take from us what rightly belongs to us, our faith, our trust in you, our integrity, our love, our commitment, our sacrifice. Father, I pray that as the men that you've called us to be, the men of Jesus Christ, that we would rise up and we would pursue with all of our hearts knowing that you will bring us to a place of gathering back everything that has been taken from us. You prophesied that in the Old Testament, that you would restore, Lord, and I pray restoration for the families of our church. I pray restoration, Lord, uh, from the things that the enemy has robbed us of. That's his method of operation. That's the reason he exists today. Jesus said it's to steal, kill, and destroy. But we say, not now. Not anymore. And I pray, Lord, that something would rise up inside of each one of us 
that we would square our shoulders, dig in our heels, and pursue with all of our hearts, knowing that we cannot move outside the blessing of God. When we turn to you, you favor us. You pour out your blessing upon us. David believed it. We believe it, Lord, with all of our hearts. I pray your favor, your provision, your blessing, your benefits over every man here, over the families of our church, because that's what you said you would do. Open the windows of heaven, Lord, and reveal yourself to us. You are a good God. David knew it, and we know it. I pray today, Lord, that we would seek you with all of our hearts. You said when we did that, we would find you. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.